0: I am so honored and excited to have again my dear friend, my educator, mentor, superhero, Larry Falazzo back on the podcast for like the fourth time, I think, besides Andrew Hogginsville. Dr. Andrew Hogginsville, you are the most visited person on the podcast, Larry. <laughs> Welcome back.
1: Well, I feel honored. It's a great podcast and certainly high on my list of top. ESL and actually top educator pos- podcast for all teachers to listen to.
0: Well, I stand on your shoulders. You have for decades. <laughs> we have a
1: mutual admiration society.
0: Uh, <laughs> yes, a lot of love to go around. Would you start us off by? Because everyone knows who you are. Um, can you tell us a story about uh, related to motivation that has stayed with you to this uh, to this moment? This is episode 185. Today, we learn how to foster intrinsic motivation in students. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. I am a competitive person by nature, So I always was motivated to succeed. Therefore, as a teacher, I incorrectly thought that motivation was something that someone had as part of their personality. Some people are just motivated and others are not. That's why we hear so many teachers call students, in particular, multilingual students, the word lazy. However, in this podcast, renowned educator Larry Falazo shares that we actually can foster intrinsic motivation. This book offers dozens of ways to create this. Now, on to today's podcast.
1: The issue related to motivation, see to me, I, I was a community organizer for 19 years prior to becoming a a, a teacher. And what what brought me to teaching was, that you know i saw what what organizing is about is about getting people to be engaged in public life who had never been involved with before never been involved public life before and they learned issues around leadership and negotiations and learned to look at themselves with the gauge of uh, eyes of assets instead of deficits and what i wanted to do when I moved to teaching I was thinking God people were learning this in their 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s I thought God if people learn this stuff a little earlier how much better would their lives be so that's what moved me you know into teaching uh, you know organizing is all about help you know trying to create the conditions where people feel intrinsically motivated to want to improve their communities and teaching is i think what good teachers want to do is create the conditions where students feel intrinsically motivated to want to learn and uh, i think a particular classroom story that prompts that that I'm, i'm prompted to think about is When i began teaching i learned about this idea this concept called inductive teaching which is basically you know for example is giving students um examples for example you know for instance um, these are uh um in the picture word inductive model where students identify words and then they have to categorize them so that, to, you know, they have to create their own learning and they put them into sentences and paragraphs instead of deductive teaching, whereas you give students the concepts, you teach them the concepts and then they work examples to, to reinforce it. Inductive learning is where you give students the examples and students have to identify the patterns themselves and one time one day when we were doing that the students one student yelled out hey we're like detectives okay and then another student yelled out something like this is like a puzzle and and they were you know it's you know as they were creating meaning they were viewing it as as sort of fun and this idea of uh, being a detective looking at things as a puzzle, looking at things as games. Those, what I subsequently found, are critical elements in developing uh, a sense of flow, where you feel lost in the moment, you know, so engrossed in what you're doing. And that sort of reinforced in me the the importance of trying to create those conditions in the classroom where students felt intrinsically motivated to want to learn and you know a recent survey that i think just came out of last week or two actually last week a few days ago showed that only 48 percent of high school students feel that their schools uh do a good job of getting them to feel excited about learning that Speaks to the challenge that we teachers have to do, have to deal with.
0: You're right. Motivation is um, how how do we compete when the kids have like TikTok and they have like instant YouTube, or, like they can just like the constant scroll. It's so hard to um, create a place where students really want to learn. But yet, when they do, when they're in the flow, wow! You could just tell a kid like wants to be there, and that's how right. we get kids to learn. You actually talked about that. Like, what are the, can you, each of your chapters is about the conditions um, for creating intrinsic motivation. Would you run through each of those chapters?
1: Yeah. So what I've done in this, the book, the student motivation handbook is try to create a, a sh- short, literally a handbook you know, listing a variety of strategies that stu- that teachers can use to incorporate in their lessons. And what researchers have identified are four key elements involved in, again, creating the conditions where intrinsic motivation can, um, can thrive. And in the handbook, I try to apply those into the classroom. And the first element, I mean, I think they're all equally important, so there's no specific, it's not a way to list them, is autonomy. Do people feel a sense of some control over how they um, need to do something they're being asked to do? One obvious way to do this is through student choice. You know, one way is, I mean, student choice can range from, if you have to write an essay, offering students three prompts instead of one, right? I mean, a simple thing to do. But also, it's that's a simple way to do it. But also another way to support student choice is by supporting student voice in that. So instead of just having teachers develop the options, encourage students to engage in developing those options so you know that it could include you know encouraging students to identify letting them be able to sit where they want to sit or choose to work the students that they want to work with in small groups uh, to an inductive learning that I talked about earlier. yes, you know students can I you know can identify the you know different categories you know if if you or in decide concept of, of concept attainment where instead of telling students this is right because of this and this is wrong because of this listing a variety of correct examples and listing a variety of incorrect examples and having students work with each other to try to figure out why are these correct and why are these incorrect what's the rule instead of giving students the rule class evaluations another way of autonomy and encouraging students to give critical feedback to us as teachers that uh you know I do that regularly one story I'd like to tell about that is uh I also write about it uh the results in in my blog and one year Washington Post picked up on it and the headline in the Washington Post article was Student gives Mr. Furlazzo an A for being annoying. (laughs) So, yeah, you look at it, you know, look at the Google, you know, search for Google, you know, Google search. And that's what the headline in the Washington Post says. So, but, get you know, students, giving students an opportunity to feel like they can choose, have some choice in how things are done and also have a voice that they can offer, uh, you know, without fear. You know, at the same time, one of the things I try to do in the the book, and I think we all have to do, is make sure that we approach these things through a culturally responsive lens. So one other way I try to support autonomy in each of my classes, I have student leadership teams (laughs) of small groups from the class ones who i initially identify as students who seem to have some degree of respect from their peers but also offer you know open it up to anybody who meet with me and give me feedback and and act as leaders too but i just need to make sure that those leadership teams don't reflect um hidden biases from me in terms of whether it's ethnic gender you know or or other biases to make sure it's truly representative so autonomy is one key element of developing those kinds of conditions and, and oftentimes in my in my lessons, students have a choice of how they want to present their learnings whether it's through a video a slideshow a written poster a short theater presentation whether they want to do it using various other presentation tools apart from Google Slides you know that that offering that as an option is something that I do all the time in, mo- in most in, in most of the assignments because it doesn't really matter to me Right. I mean, what's important is that they've learned it. They've learned the concepts. How they present the concepts doesn't, I mean, why should we have any, you know, any investment as a teacher into it? Right. Yeah. It just doesn't, right. it, it doesn't make sense. I mean, uh, the, the perfect, I mean, and just to give you uh, another example, a story I like to tell it didn't happen this year, but one year we were teaching uh, argument essays. We had actually just finished a unit on natural disasters and students were supposed to write an essay explaining what they think would be the worst natural disaster to have to experience. And then one student who hadn't been very engaged in class for quite a while, he just put his head on his, on his desk you know, I asked him and he just, you know, he said he didn't want to do it. And I said, well, but you're a football fan, right? I mean, I knew he was a football fan. It, it, it speaks to the importance of teachers developing relationships. Why don't you just write an essay about why you think your favorite team is the best in the league and just use the same outline? He said, oh, I could do that? I said, yeah, right? It wasn't, the purpose of the assignment really wasn't to for students to be able to talk about the worst natural disaster the key was being able to apply the skills of write of argument skills in writing an essay he wrote the essay and was pretty you know it was actually pretty good and at a later parent teacher uh conference his mother was was in tears and showed me and showed me this essay and said it was the first time he'd ever written an essay, right? Uh, you know, so, but just you know, we have to be invested. In what is the you know what is the the clear purpose of the assignment? What's the as the civil rights song goes, you know, keeping our eyes on the prize. I think
0: that's a wonderful example of remembering, hey, what's really the thing we're trying to develop, writing about natural disasters or argumentative essays. And so it also reveals what kind of teacher you are, the flexible, um, receptive kind of teacher you are to uh, allow your students the room to like, yeah, okay, do that, not a problem. So let's move to competence. I'm excited to hear about an example just like that one from students on how you develop competence.
1: Well, you know, competence is... Do students feel like they are capable of completing the assignment? Do they have the skills, you know, or um, are we just throwing them in the deep water without any kind of support? And there are a variety of ways that, you know, that we can support. I mean, nobody wants to do something that they've got a good chance at failing at. Right? I mean, who's going to do that? You know, one way to do that is to help students develop a growth mindset yeah so that they feel that if they are developing if they are supposed to do something then and they make mistakes it's just opportunity to learn it's not a commentary on their their intellectual abilities their skills providing scaffolds and i know you've done a lot of writing about the kind of scaffolding that you know ells and everybody needs right. whether they are writing frames or writing structures or word banks right I mean that and the idea of the scaffolds is not to be permanent scaffolds but as students to develop the confidence and skills to be able to you know move away from that and not to be a crutch just as literal crutches are just right there temporarily the kind of feedback that we give students it's interesting I just read a study and who talked about agentic feedback Mm -hmm. that supports student agency so that um you know instead of just telling students well this is right this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong or this is right having students say you know telling students well in the you know here I'm seeing compare what you, your this essay that you wrote with this model what are the things that you see are different or when I when I'm in teaching my English language learners and we're playing messenger and scribe or uh, where you have a few sentences pasted on the walls right. and students work in teams and one has to run and 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 read it and run back and tell the other student who has to write it down when students are have completed it I don't tell them what you know maybe they have them all right or maybe one of them has an error I'll say this one has an error go mm-hmm. error go figure right. out which what it is right, right. um so but, you know I mean there are a variety of different strategies uh with that actually getting back to this idea of a teach of students being detectives where you know Dylan William talks about this idea of ha- of offering feedback in the in a way where students feel that they have to be detectives to do it where there's guides but um where they are that they have to be doing the thinking right the idea of who's doing the thinking is doing the learning right another way to help promote the idea of competence is this concept called temporal comparisons Mm. where students compare themselves compare what they have done what they're they're doing now with what they've done in the past as opposed to comparing themselves to other students right you know whether it is having you know students compare essays that they wrote at the beginning of the year with essays that wrote at the end of the year or giving them a list of vocabulary at the beginning of a unit ask him to identify the ones they know and then after the unit giving them the same list and asking them to identify the ones they know so students see their progress themselves I know one year I did an experiment where you know I mentioned earlier the importance of doing class evaluations where I had you know students give anonymous feedback and one year I tried an experiment about three weeks before the end of class one of the questions was how much English do you feel that you learned this year
0: right
1: you know maybe half the class said oh I learned a lot and then the next week I would had students do that example of comparing an essay that they wrote earlier and then um with an essay they wrote later and then i said oh i made a mistake i forget what i said maybe i said i lost their the results of their essays their evaluation or something and they knew i wasn't very organized so they believed it and in the second version after they had been able to compare their earlier work with their later work uh 75 of the class said they felt they learned a lot of english this year so the only difference had been that activity. So this, and again, it was an example of temporal comparison as opposed to comparing themselves with someone else.
0: Right, right. Comparison is the thief of joy. And so instead of comparing themselves to someone else, they look back and say, wow, what have I developed? What skills yes. have I de- um, Have I learned? And then they can say, oh, well, I am a capable student. I am intelligent. And so instead of us telling them, they realize, wow, I've done this in in this year let's move to the next thing which next uh factor that develops uh, relatedness yes relatedness
1: so is what i'm being asked to do going to bring me in greater relationship a greater connection with people i like or people i respect
0: right
1: uh as another study just came out this week which emphasized that this is particularly that the importance of a teacher-student relationship is especially important in high school in terms of connecting to academic achievement so those sorts of things the things that we can do around that can be for example pronouncing the student's name correctly and if we're having a hard time pronouncing a student's name making it very clear that it's on us right they don't have a name that's difficult to pronounce <laughs> we you ha- know you know we are not we're, we're not skilled enough right to to say it i can't i mean if i had a uh a dollar for every time a student has said tried to say oh don't worry about it just call me so and so right I said no no you deserve to be called the name your name and the name right. you want to be called right uh yeah. daily dedications. Is another way to try to help build a greater relationship within classes, people to get to know each other. Right. And I saw this in 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 Edutopia one year, where so students can ask students to dedicate a, each day uh a day of learning oh. to someone who's important to them, right. or whether it's a real person a person in fiction a celebrity or whatever uh and why They dedicate and students being able to most students choose a family member right and they you know we display it on the screen they have to say it you know and in a family members you know students tell me every time they show this to their family members everybody starts crying
0: oh
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it's a great opportunity again to build, develop a great, you know, more connections. People see commonalities. People right. see what what's important to others. Yeah, I mean, so you know, just those ideas. I mean, mixing up small groups, getting people to know each other, doing presentations about what's important to each other. Those are just some ways to build a sense of relationship. And one of the other things I try to do is to say every student's name every day. Right. Right? I mean, because some students, they'll go a whole day and nobody will say their name. Right. You know, how, how must that feel right. to a teenager? Right. right.
0: Yeah. To be, to be said, to have your name said in a loving way. That's, the
1: yeah. Word. Right. Right. To, yes. I mean, not in a, you have it, but it's, oh, good morning. Right. You know, right. good morning, Judith. Or, right. uh, you know, how are you doing, uh, Noxielli. Oh, great work. Right. Or, how's, you know, you know, your parents? I mean, one of the things I also do is, every week there's an online google form a check-in form that takes students less than a minute to complete rating you know on a scale of one to ten how are you feeling about school how are you feeling about our class and i tell students i don't I never look at that i mean i look at the at the overall content the response but i don't look at who says what to that but how do you feel about your personal life is there anything that uh that's going on in your life or your family's life that mr falasso should know you know and everybody who rates one of those things as a one or a two i check in and students share information about a family member who's in the hospital or whatever and i'm able to connect with them and that's really you know that's an easy thing to do and i get extraordinarily helpful information not just for me and that student but for the school right i'm able to talk you know to Bring in a counselor when a student talks about a tragedy that's happened mm-hmm. you know, so all these none of these things require an enormous amount of time right. or effort but right. they they can make a big impact
0: right. I do something similar to your Google form, but I have a little journal that students write in a Google uh, slide and then I respond to them every every other week and so it's a little journal entry just to me, and it oh, really cool! Helped, yeah, helped develop a relationship with them. I also really love the um, your idea of greeting students. That's what I do with my class and I from the beginning of my first day of teaching uh, ever, I always sat by the door and learned students names. and by the end of two weeks, I knew 150 students by yeah. Now. And so but I notice other teachers don't do that. They'll be at the table, they'll be at the board or something. but I just make it a point just to say hello to them. Um, by name, and it it right away starts uh, the relationship of saying, "Wow, you're uh, you do care. You do care enough to say hi to me." Yeah. How do you organize group work?
1: Uh, at the beginning of the year, I well, basically how I say it is for low stakes, short term activities. I choose the groups for longer-term, high-stakes activities they choose. And at the beginning of the year, I generally, we, we don't do many high-stakes at the beginning, but I do a lot of choosing so people can get familiar with who they want to work with.
0: Let's move to your last uh, factor, which is uh, relevance. It's different than relatedness.
1: Right. Well, relevance it relates, is what I'm being asked to do going to help me... Uh, achieve my goals and hopes or it can also be is what i'm being asked to do is interesting to me right i mean i i was reading an article in the new yorker about door to door to salespeople right that's not going to i mean I, I just found that interesting right and So it was relevant in that way it wasn't necessarily going to help me achieve my goals but it was interesting that also relates to games right so games May not necessarily help them achieve their, their their goals, but it's you know it's fun. You know, fun is relevance, uh, and I think in that way there are a variety of ways to deal with that. One, there's this concept of self generating relevance. So asking students, "How is what you are learning today? How do you think that can apply in your other classes or in your future?" And that's been found to be much more effective than teachers telling students how it can be relevant partially because I think students I mean researchers say because it could be viewed as condescending a little bit uh but this idea of self-generation and I think it's you know we again the idea of students so you know creating meaning for themselves connecting to prior knowledge if I'm teaching about Mardi Gras in New Orleans my students may not have any idea about Mardi Gras in New Orleans but they do know they've had experiences of community-wide celebrations, right? So having students share about those. I'm teaching about the American Revolution in my ELL U.S. History class. Most countries have experienced rev- uh, experienced revolutions or civil wars. Most countries have experienced civil wars. So people are able to, to share about that. Talking about trying to identify problems in the community. Three years ago, uh Stefan Clark was African American male who was uh killed by police a mile and a half from our school right I mean you could you couldn't just go on the usual curriculum that week but also we also had to be when we're talking about going back to this idea of prior knowledge uh we also have to be aware of trauma and make sure that we are not reigniting trauma for right. students right. you know if I have a group of students Central American refugees who have you know told me showed me during lunch pictures of all of their friends in El Salvador have been murdered by gangs before I do a lesson on what's happening in Central America I needed to talk with people about it it was clear they were interested in doing you know and learning about it but I gave them the option I said I arranged if it got too, you know too traumatizing they could leave uh, and go to another classroom. and in the in the midst of the lesson, one student chose to do that. Everybody w- was glad that they that we did the lesson, right. But you know you can't just make assumptions about right. this idea of prior knowledge, right. yeah. I mean, so those are just some of the the ways for for relevance. Pro- you know, again, problems in the community. You know we've done projects around census, about having students develop neighborhood campaigns on the importance for the neighborhoods to complete the census forms you know multilingual campaigns uh we've done immigration rights forums um you know lots of those things but really promoting promoting relevance and then of course just games for fun that are related about reinforcing academic concepts but they are fun for the relevance of uh of of interest
0: uh, when I hear about relevance, I think of um, Dr. Sims Ruth Sims Bishop's quote of uh, "windows, doors, and mirrors." And so I think relevance is the mirror saying, like, "Oh, this curriculum, this content I'm learning mirrors my experiences, mirrors what I I know." Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, this leads us to the end of our podcast, and at the end of another one of your fabulous books. It's called. The Student Motivation Handbook, 50 Ways to Boost an Intrinsic Desire to Learn. Uh, Larry, thank you again for being on the podcast and always lighting one of the brightest paths for us. Would you end the podcast with this? Uh, I only reserve this for te- for experts who have been in the field for decades. Um, instead of asking my traffic light teaching, I ask uh, what I know for sure. What do you know for sure after all these years of working with English learners, um, sharing with us, writing for us? um, What do you know for sure about our profession and our students?
1: Well, that we are all going to have bad days. And when we have those bad teaching days, when our lessons go south, you know, we just come back the next day and do our best and it'll get better okay and we shouldn't just be beating ourselves up for it just do our best and it'll get better right students will not remember about you know and they'll be fine so 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 that's i that's one thing i know for sure
0: right i still remember on twitter one day you wrote like today i wasn't very patient with students and i was like oh larry that's so (laughs) uh like vulnerable of you to say that if yeah you, and i've had I mean, a few think, of
1: those days <laughs>
0: <laughs> i think we have many of those days so it's all, it's all out of love i right know so larry thank you again for being on the podcast and i can't wait to uh, continue to learn for you from decades now
1: thank you very much Don, and i can't wait to read your next book whenever that comes out
0: <laughs> thank you. okay after your <laughs> next book <laughs> Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast. My invitation is to check out my three courses on English Learner Portal. One is on creating the conditions for MLs to thrive, one on teacher collaboration, and one based on my co-authored book with Beth Skelton called Long-Term Success for Experienced Multilinguals. Now on to our recap. I like how Larry organizes motivation into four factors, autonomy, competence, relevance and relatedness. Because of this categorization, we are given four paths of motivation. What's required is for us to understand our students and learn about which factor we need to support more. This way, we won't ever describe our students as lazy or unmotivated. We will simply say, what can I do to foster greater competence? Thank you for listening. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode.